I confess that when I worked at a BDSM club in full sub mode, I saw my seventh grade math teacher in the audience. Oh. Of course you did. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a live storytelling series based in Austin, Texas. Whether the performers are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Stories heard at Bedpost Confessions explore themes of sexuality, gender identity, dating, marriage, masturbation, breakups, health and wellness, and more. Whether the story is hysterical or downright emotionally raw, we hope Bedpost Confessions will either spark a fantasy or start a conversation. Maybe even both. I gotta find peace of mind. I gotta find peace of mind. Corinne Gaines, Sky McCoby, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Mike Brown, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Goddess Diamond, Mercedes Successful, Tyrese Reese Walker, Kiana Blackney, Shante Isaac, Courtney Davia Yocum, Kadari Candace Johnson, Demarcus Stansbury, Maya Young, Veronica Banks Cano, Candon Clark, Jasmine Sierra, Monica Laura, and more and more. And I start here to honor the lives of people we have lost at the hands of white supremacy. And these people have recently been killed. There have been countless lives lost senselessly and not acknowledged to anti-blackness. Unfortunately, Death is not the only way that anti-blackness sucks the souls from black people. There has been spiritual genocide of blackness, a cultural thievery resulting in pervasive self-hate, and at the macro level, a lack of accountability for a vanguard of destruction, gatekeepers responsible for carrying out a violent system's design. Here is the experience without guidebook to decolonizing fucking. Why are your lips and nose so big? Why does your hair stand up on your head and not fall down? Why can't you swim in the pool today? Why does it take so long to get your hair done? Do you know this hip hop song? Your legs are so muscular and big. You look like a monkey. Will you play Scary Spice? Your hair is so cool. Your boobs are so big. I love that you are black. You are my favorite black friend. You, you should have the black Barbie. Krista and I spent every waking moment with each other. We would race down our cul-de-sac, make performances for our friends, go swimming, tease the boys in the neighborhood, climb trees together, and each and every time there was always something about me, Reed, my blackness that was new, strange, or weird. No one ever asked me why my body or hair looked a certain way before I met Krista. She was my first friend outside of my family and Barbies. When you are seven years old, the word microaggression is not a word you know or recognize. <laughs> so I internalized these questions and comments as honest curiosity never questioning why they were asked, never questioning my white friend. Something was just questionable about me. 
maybe not so micro. I began wishing that my hair would move when I ran, walked, moved ever so slightly. I would stick my head out of moving car windows, not because I was hot or wanted to feel the sun beat down on my face. I wanted my hair to move like Krista's. As I got older, my aspiration to whiteness grew alongside my increased exposure to its perceived greatness. Melissa was my inspiration in middle school. It seemed that she had a magical hold on the boys and I wanted to know the spell. I craved the way the boys looked at her body. One day, she came to school wearing tight white spandex pants and the boys watched her, debating if she was wearing underwear. I observed their wishes to be with her like a three-year-old does ants congregating after a trail of crackers has been left for them. I did this, I'm, I'm that three-year-old. <laughs> That she was wearing a thong, an item of clothing that indicated more than not wanting panty lines in middle school, excited them more. I thought I should buy those pants, but really didn't believe they would cause the same teenage boy angst. She was who I needed to be. So I took my place in the background, like one shade of yellow comprising Van Gogh's starry night, a dust of sage after a room's been smudged, blood still left on the ground from negligence, blood on the ground. Blood on the ground. Blood on the ground. I had help in my aspiration to look something other than myself. She was my cheerleader in rejecting my blackness, fulfilling what she felt was right. My mother would sit me down, perm, hot comb, braid, hot oil set, you name it, it happened to my hair in my childhood kitchen. My dad would stand over me and urge her not to change my hair. He would say, Putting all those chemicals in that girl's hair is doing nothing but damaging it and making her wish her natural hair was some other way. She didn't listen. We didn't listen. My mother is not here to tell her side of the story of why she was so committed to making sure my hair was the furthest from kinky. But an assertion can be made that she was tricked to hate herself as well. Like my hair, my Barbies were often points of contention in the heart household. Her Barbies are beautiful, my mother would yell. My father would respond, but they are the furthest thing from black. For the girl that stood between these arguments and absorbed both sides, I left even more confused. Were either of them wrong? What persevered was that the Barbie was beautiful. My father's pleading that they didn't affirm blackness fell on deaf ears. My Barbies were my only black friends as a kid, and even they could not just exist without questioning. Yo, 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 what's up? Yo, girl, you're my sister, right? What's up? Are your parents in the military? How are your legs so muscular? Your hair is so greasy. You smell like cocoa butter. Yo, my nigga, do you play basketball? These comments and questions greeted me on my first day of school in Puerto Rico. I haven't even introduced myself in the Spanish I quickly and nervously studied on the way. I don't greet people that I meet newly with a what's up nigga or a yo. Why is this the only way they thought to greet me? Of course, I know why. The white supremacist influence greetings end, but that doesn't mean that they don't manifest in other ways. I was far from an object of desire, but always someone's comic relief. I wanted John. <laughs> My high school crush to want me so bad. I let him put, I let him make fun of me every day. All of his jokes were directly linked to my blackness. 
at least he was paying attention. Teasing means they like you, right? Maybe he will have an epiphany and actually want me one day. He would pick me up and put me into trash cans, literally. And I never told him to stop. Symbolism. This went on for two years. He never had an epiphany. Why are you so angry? You two are such a beautiful interracial couple. She's black? She's black. She's not like those black people. Erica is very, very loud. Gentrification isn't personal. That's just the way real estate works. Your thighs are so big. Your breasts are huge. I like skinnier legs. I wish America was how it used to be. Can you be more hmm, aggressive in bed? She looked like Ellen from across the Peace Corps orientation room. I was determined to get her attention and make friends. I walk across the room avoiding the sea of white, heterosexual, anxious to save the world faces and up to what I presumed was the only lesbian. She was wearing a collared shirt, slacks, and a bow tie. I was sold on the aesthetic. <laughs> we are going to be good friends, was my statement of hopeful flirtation after saying some other flirty words to get her attention. Her response, I am going to be friends with everyone. I roll my eyes and walk away, only hearing her non-acknowledgement of my flirtation echoing in my ears. I kept watching her to understand why I was being rejected. She's funny, smart, and people seem to really like her. But I have been here before. Fast forward, we are standing in the hotel lobby after 24 hours of travel, watching as each pair is called out. The list is dwindling down and I begin to think, did Peace Corps really put me in the same room with the only lesbian? Well, we ended up in the same room because we have the same initials. I waste no time. I, I think you are really hot. I say to her the following day while we are getting to know each other and sharing our types. You are not my type at all. This rings to me like a challenge. I perform every tactic of flirtation I know because this girl has got to be bluffing. Not that I think I'm everyone's type, but I wanted her to want me like I wanted my hair to move when I walked. Her wanting me meant more than just me being able to date someone fun and exciting. It meant she saw me, that I was seen. Three days later, she said, I am crazy about you. And over the course of seven years, we would tell that story over and over and over again until we walked down the aisle to say I do. People's eyes would light up, sometimes even tear up. The interracial couple that met in the Peace Corps, the story was out of a fairy tale. You are not my type. 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 Said seven times for the seven years we spent together. How many times can you hear you are not someone's type until you feel unfuckable? Seven years. She never left out this detail of the story. You would think after some time, I would become her type. But I stayed through the seven years of the retelling of this story and walked down an aisle to someone who saw me as not their type. 
I stayed through the lesbian bed death. I stayed through her family's confusion that she was dating a black girl. I stayed through the racist jokes. I stayed through the fucking that I thought affirmed me and my body. I stayed, I stayed, I stayed because this was all I knew. Me chasing someone who had no interest in me at all was all I knew. Me chasing an ideal that I would never attain. I would never become her type. Me chasing whiteness as I always had and I would never be its type. Cancer was my last battle with whiteness, sure, possibly hereditary, but what has been stolen from us, used as an experiment, while still with the, ex the expectation to survive is what is inherently causing illness in our bodies. Our trauma is hereditary. My mother's pain was passed on to me, and her mother's pain passed on to her. Whiteness has infiltrated our ancestors' bodies and tried to kill us, sometimes succeeding. My cancer is a symbol. My scars are my war wounds from this battle to find myself. The journey to fucking my blackness came with visible scars. I want to kiss your nose. I love your lips. You look beautiful in a head wrap. Your hips are a blessing. Your thighs save lives. You are magical. Your melanin is a gift. I can see your pain. I felt like I could not breathe the first time I laid my head on her lap and at the same time was full of life, lifted to a higher spiritual order. I was knee deep in my feelings and my head was just on her lap. The first time we fucked, I felt like she was resuscitating my spirit. Neither one of us removed our panties that night. I had been fucked, I have never been fucked like this before. Was this fucking? Yes. We fucked. She redefined fucking. She was spiritually penetrating me. I was overwhelmed. I was full. I had arrived. I was being worshipped for the first time. For the first time. She loved on me like it was her job. I could also feel her pain. Her soul had been hurt and kicked around by the world. Our souls spoke to each other. They knew each other. Past life, not of this cosmic rotation. I could go on and on and share with you explicit details of our fucking, but my click gets hard when I see her name pop up on my phone. <laughs> so another time for stories fully devoted to the many ways she has fucked me when I have more time to go beyond the fullness that I feel at just the sight of her name. She has loved me, she has worshipped me, she has discovered me, she has unraveled and denounced any thought that I should be anything other than black. She has committed a revolutionary act by centering my blackness in a world that says I am supposed to stand in the background, be put in trash cans, and not have that sweaty love dripping from the walls fuck by someone who sees me as their ideal. Anything other than blackness being upheld no longer has space here. My blackness has been fucked to life over and over and over and over again. And not everyone lives to have that experience. I gotta find peace of mind. I gotta find peace of mind. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> 
Bed Piss Confessions is produced by Julie Gillis, Mia Martina, and Sadie Smythe. Audio production is by Ian Danskin. You don't have to attend a show to confess. With our confession scroller, you can confess with us anytime on our site at bedpostconfessions.com. Also pick up a copy of our anthology, Bedpost Confessions, Real Sex, Real People, Real Stories, which features 35 stories and hundreds of audience confessions. Bedpost Confessions, the anthology found on Amazon in print and ebook. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And if you have a sec, please help bring Bedpost Confessions to more people by rating the podcast. You know how it works. More ratings and reviews equals higher podcast ranking equals more confessions. Thanks for your support, and until next time, we will leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess, I once let my mom think I had a skin condition because I couldn't bring myself to tell her that the weird, flaky skin on my neck was actually dried semen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, me likey, me likey. I think you must have been a young person. Yeah, I like that. Okay. I confess, when I was a child, I thought that every time I masturbated, I lost a day of my life. (laughs) By by my calculation, I died 10 years ago. (laughs) 